from Vietnam and the Crimea, barely sprouted moustaches and poultry-thin necks popping out of gilded collars above tarnished epaulettes. Rubber-hard girls in silver tights and silver boots, with silver skirts bouncing on compact rumps. Limp girls in black velvet dangling meshed metal purses, with paper flowers in the coils and curtains of their artificial hair. Several Georges Sans, Mesdemoiselles Sacripant, in trousers, frilled shirts, and velvet berets. Shuffling, sexless people in drooping garments made from the ill-printed Indian bedspreads that had gathered dust in the seaside attics of Alexander's childhood. Some carried brand-new Benares begging bowls. Like cows, they clattered new shiny bells round their necks. Alexander had seen these for sale in dozens of street stalls. The vendors had little placards saying that the bells symbolised inwardness. Under English Macintoshes, English Tweed, English Cashmere, American tourists edged doggedly forward, wired from plastic knobs in the ears to the inward murmur of the boxed sound guides. It was no doubt whispering about the iconic and yet realistic qualities of these English Renaissance images, barbaric and crude, two centuries after the solid and airy glories of the High Renaissance, yet a style that was beginning to know what it was, a secular style. A new beginning after the iconoclastic excesses under young Edward VI, when angels, mothers and children had fled and crackled in the streets, immolated to a logical, absolute God who disliked images. Alexander thought, surveying Thomas Cromwell and the mock soldiers, about the nature of modern parody. It seemed to him, who did not understand or like it, undirected and aimless, they imitated anything and everything out of an unmanageable combination of aesthetic curiosity, mocking destructiveness, and affectionate nostalgia, the desire to be anything and anywhere other than here and now. Did these soldiers loathe or secretly desire warfare, or did they not know? Was it all a considered statement, as the painter would have said, about accommodated and unaccommodated man? Or was it just a hysterical continuation of childhood dressing up? Alexander himself had considerable knowledge about the history of clothing, could place a shift of seam or change of cut in relation to tradition and the individual talent, almost as well as he could a verse form or a vocabulary. He watched his own clothes and his own poetry in the light of these delicate shifts of subdued innovation, but he was apprehensive that at this time there was no real life in either. He was, nevertheless, at fifty, in well-cut olive gabardine, cream silk shirt and gold chrysanthemum tie, a handsome man. He went out again, against his better judgment, to look for Frederica. He leaned over the balcony above the stairwell. Directly below him, in front of a portrait of the late king, his queen, and two princesses, in vermilion lipstick, drooping skirts and slingback shoes— all dwarfed entirely by the huge canvasful of pale green good taste and glitter of chandeliers and silver teapots in a drawing-room in Windsor, Frederica was engaged in a fainting, weaving dance round a quilted triangular stool with an unknown man. This man was large and foreshortened from above, consisting of a wide expanse of glossy black PVC raincoat, crisping out round a bulky body, and a heavy mass of straight blonde hair with a sheen like cool butter. This man reached across the stool and caught her wrist. 
She reached up, spoke in his ear, kissed him under it, and twisted away. He reached after her as she moved off and ran the flat of one large hand down her spine, over her tail, cupping it, resting there. It was a gesture of complete and public intimacy. He then shouldered his way out through the crowd, not looking back. Frederica laughed and came on up. Alexander retreated. Ah, there you are. Have you seen Daniel? I'm amazed he thought fit to come. Alexander did not answer, since he could see Daniel coming along the landing, a fat man in black cords and black turtleneck sweater. He came heavily up to them and nodded. Well met, she said, we three. Were you given gifts on the way in? No, said Daniel. She extended her hands. In one was a greenish square of mirror glass, possibly a tiny bathroom tile. In the other was a crushed strawberry cloakroom ticket with 69 on...